So, when I was a kid, I didn't get in trouble very much. And particularly at school, I was pretty well behaved. It was rare that I was uh, publicly, you know, rebuked. In fact, I can only remember one time that I got in trouble in front of everyone. I was in year two, and, uh, you know, I was a bit of a rebel in year two. And uh, one of the funniest things that you could do in year two was to make fart noises. And so we were doing this uh, test where we're doing like our times tables. We do it at the end of the day. And so I decided I was going to, right before we did the test, I was going to lift up my desk because my desk had kind of a lid on it and we saw that our stuff inside the desk. I was going to lift up the lid and I was going to do a really loud fart noise. And then because I was covered by the desk, the teacher would have no idea who did it. It was a really good plan. And so it was like, all right, everyone, time for the test. And I was like, oh, quick, I've got to look in my desk for my pencil. And I opened it up and I went, <laughs> and I was like, oh. and then the teacher was like, Tom, get outside now. I was like, oh. <laughs> I'd never been sent outside before. And so I went outside and I sat down. I was like, how am I going to explain this? And uh, I don't know how I explained it. I can't remember. I just remember feeling terrible, like I'd done the worst thing in the world by making a fart noise. But luckily, they didn't expel me, and I got to continue on with my education. And that was, that was the one time in school I got publicly rebuked. The other time I got publicly rebuked in an educational setting was at Bible college. Because I made a fart noise. <laughs> I didn't. I, didn't. I, had the, I was living in a house with a bunch of different people, and uh, there, was this, uh, there was the issue in our house that we only have one shower, and when you live with like six other people, you've got to make sure that you, know, you get to the shower at the right time. Otherwise, you're going to just miss it and then you'll be very late to work. Like you've got your shower slot. Like, I don't know how much you think about planes coming into land. Uh, you probably don't think about it much. Well, I do. And uh, when planes come into land, they have like this landing slot that they've booked in. And if they miss the slot, they've got to like pay a bunch of money to get a new slot. And so that's why planes don't like being late. Anyway, if you miss your slot in our house in the shower, it would cost you a lot. None of the money, just out of time. So I'd be lying in bed, I'd be listening to the shower, and as soon as it was off, I'd be like, right, that's it, I'm going to shower. And, but, but I'd hear it and finish, and then I'd be like, all right, here we go. And then someone, someone else would get in. I'm like, oh, I'll just stay in bed for a while. And they're like, oh, here we go. And then someone else would get in. I'm like, oh, here we go. And it just like everybody in the house, and then all their friends and their neighbors, they all showered that day. <laughs> And so I was like, oh, I'll just wait. And so I waited, had a relaxed morning, and I turned up to Bible college, and I was quite late. And there was this old guy who was the lecturer, uh, who is, I found out later, was like one of the most respected, you know, Old Testament scholars in the world. But he was just the old guy who talks to me in class. And he, I walked in and goes, what time do you call this? I was like, I don't know, 10 to 10? He was like, why are you so late? And I was like, uh, everyone got in the shower before me? He was like, that's a terrible excuse. And I was like, it's the only one I got. <laughs> Which, you know, when people say, like, that's a terrible excuse, I always am like, oh, should I think of a better one? <laughs> like, oh, I got hit by a car. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, that's, I'm just telling you the truth. I don't want to lie to you. Everyone was in the shower. And it was really embarrassing that I got in trouble in front of all my 
Bible college friends and I'm like, look, I'm an, I'm an adult. I don't want to get told off. I'd rather make fart noise and get told off of that than <laughs> being late to show. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, the reason why I'm telling you this is because as we see in the passage today, Peter, uh, he gets in trouble. Uh, he gets in trouble from Jesus. He gets publicly rebuked. And it's, it's for a lot worse than just turning up late or for making a rude noise. He gets in big trouble. But we'll get to that. The first thing that we see happens is that uh, Jesus uh, says uh, to his disciples, he's like, who do people say that I am? Which is like the ancient equivalent of Googling yourself. Like, <laughs> I don't know if you've Googled yourself. I have Googled myself many a time. And if I was to say, who does Google say that I am? Then Google says that I am a, uh, an artist who likes to draw skulls a lot. And I am someone who used to play rugby for England. And I am a poet and I'm a person who makes terrible songs on YouTube, and I am a, an architect in Russia, and it takes a long time before it says that I am Tom who lives in Sydney and looks like me. It takes a long time before you get to me when you Google myself. When you Google Jesus, say, well, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And, and the, the public opinion is that Jesus is A, John the Baptist. Now, if you don't know who John the Baptist is, he was Jesus' cousin, and he was... Uh, like six months older than Jesus, his job was to go out and preach that Jesus was coming. And he had preached uh, for a while, but then he uh, offended uh, this guy called Herod uh, because he preached against Herod's marriage, because uh, I think Herod had married his brother's wife, which is dodgy, it turns out. And uh, Herod then had John the Baptist put to death. But John the Herod was afraid that Jesus was John the Baptist come back to life. And some people believe that that is who Jesus was. And then they said, well, some other people say that you're Elijah. And Elijah was a prophet from the Old Testament who would call Israel back to faithfulness in God. And there was an, an ancient prophecy that before uh, the Messiah came, then Elijah would come and he would preach again, calling Israel back to God. And so that's what the public opinion about Jesus is. And then, they, then Jesus says, well, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter decides to speak up. And he takes his place as kind of like the spokesperson and leader of the disciples. And he says, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And what he's saying there is saying, you are the Messiah. When you are the Messiah, he's saying, you are the one who has been prophesied about for thousands of years. You are the person who's going to come and become the king of Israel. And you're going to lead Israel uh, to its heights again. And they think back to the time when Israel had King David and King Solomon. And Israel was great in the world. They say, well, you're going to be the sign. You're going to lead Israel and bring Israel back to glory. And that, and that is what we are looking forward to. And so he's saying, this is who you are. You are the one who has been promised. And you have now arrived. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Imagine how Peter feels at that time. Where he's like, Peter, you got it. You're right. Peter would be like, yes, I figured it out. I know who he is. Jesus is the Messiah. And the Messiah just said that I'm blessed. This is great. He'd be feeling so good. 
And then he realizes, Jesus tells him that he didn't figure it out on his own, that, that God told him, and Peter probably, I don't know, if it was me, I'd be like, yeah, God told me. <laughs> I figured it out. Thank you, God. Thank you, me. Yes, I'd feel pretty good about myself. And then Pete, God says to him, sorry, God, or Jesus, who is God? He says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Which may seem a bit strange, because we've been calling him Peter, and then Jesus is like, you are Peter. And Peter will be like, yeah. But actually, up until this time, everyone's been calling him Simon. He's been Simon, Simon, Simon. And then he gets a new name, and this is where he gets the name Peter. And Peter means rock. It means Rock. He is the, the rock. Nikki, you just slapped Ben. <laughs> that was a mosquito. Oh, that was a mosquito. All right. Mosquito. Yeah. Yeah. Hang on. So that was just a bit. Sorry, Tom. Sorry. Nikki apologizes for disrupting your son. Yeah. Yeah. Ben, turn the other cheek. Oh, yeah, give it. Uh, what are we talking about? All right. Yeah. I. And they're saying that Peter is is the rock. And Jesus is saying here that, Peter, you as the leader of the disciples, you've figured this out. And, be- and because you are the leader, it's you who is going to be the one who leads the church. And God is going to set up the church around you. Now, it's not saying that Peter is going to then become the Pope. And then after that, there's going to be another one who comes after that. And they're going to set up this you know, line of Peters who lead the church. But because Peter knows who Jesus is... And because Peter is going to actually go on to tell people who Jesus is and going to help people to discover what God has done in Jesus, Peter is going to be the person uh, who is uh, opening up the good news of what God has done to the world. And as you look at the life of Peter, you see that he goes on and does this, which is why God is building his church on Peter the rock. And so this is such a, like a great moment for Peter. He would be feeling amazing. And then Jesus tells Peter and the disciples not to tell anyone that he is the Messiah. They figured it out. And then it says that Jesus begins to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. Uh, Jesus is clearly talking about what is going to happen to him. He's not hiding anything from them. In another gospel, it says that Jesus, um, Jesus um, began to speak plainly about what was going to happen to him. Like, nothing is metaphor at all. Like, there is, it's not like Jesus is, like, giving them some hidden message. Where he's like, oh, there is a lamb. And the lamb will have its feet bound by darkness. And they'll be like, what? That doesn't make any sense to me. No, Jesus is being really, really clear. He's saying, I am going to go to Jerusalem. And when I'm in Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer lots of things at the hands of a bunch of religious leaders. And these guys normally fight amongst themselves, but they're going to get together so they can fight against me. And then I'm going to be killed. And then I'm going to come back to life. He's being really, really clear. And when Peter hears this, he thinks, no, that can't happen. That's not meant to happen. The Messiah isn't meant to die. This is the one we've been looking forward to for thousands of years. He is not the one who dies. He's the one who rules. He's not the one who is killed. He's the one who kills. He's the one who leaves the military to, to kick out the Romans from our lands who've been ruling over us. That's who the Messiah is. He is not the one who dies. This is, cannot happen. So Peter, probably feeling pretty good about the fact that Jesus just called him the rock, decides he needs to speak up and tell Jesus what the truth is. 
So it's like, well, Jesus, listen to me. You know, I'm the rock and the church is going to be built on me. So let me tell you what's going to happen. And it isn't that you're going to die. That's never going to happen. So you just get that in your head, Jesus. You don't know what you're talking about. So you just stop with these stupid thoughts and, and, and get your head in order. Get your head in the game, Jesus, because you're wrong. You're completely wrong. And Peter rebukes Jesus, which is a bad idea. Like, if you're going to rebuke anyone, don't rebuke Jesus. Because then look at what Jesus says next to Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. Peter had been having such a good day. And then Jesus calls him Satan. That's not so good. And he says... You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And, and why would Jesus call Peter Satan? Why would he do that? Like, Jesus normally seems like such a nice guy. Like, he normally doesn't call many people bad names. He does call, like, the Pharisees and that. They get called bad things. But the worst that they get called is, like, children of the devil, which is pretty bad. But yeah. But you know what's worse than being children of the devil? The devil. The devil. Yes. And Peter gets called that. Why would he be called that? Why would Jesus call him that? Well, because Jesus knows that he has to go to die. That's what he has to do. That's what it's all about for him. That's where he is heading. That's always what it's been about. But Satan wants to tempt him not to do that. Satan wants to tempt him not to go and die. If you've read earlier in the Bible when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, uh, Satan tempts Jesus to, to achieve his kingship and to rule the world without going via the cross. And this is really tempting to Jesus because Jesus doesn't want to die on the cross. Which is obvious. Like, like why would you want to die on the cross? It's a terrible idea. Like, in terms of, like, would you rathers, <laughs> if it's like, would you rather rule the world and be in charge of everyone and have a great military and have everyone worship you or have nails put in your hands and your feet and be stabbed in the side? It's like, eh, not hard to figure that one out. Like, that's even easier than would you rather, like, spaghetti for arms or a meatball for a head. <laughs> and that was pretty easy to figure out. <laughs> Obviously not the meatball head, because you're dead. Uh, for Jesus it's really easy for him he, he knows that he doesn't want to go to the cross and so when Peter says to him you can't die that's not what it's about for you that's, that's the temptation of Satan saying you can achieve glory without doing what God has called you to do that you can achieve your kingdom without going by the cross but the way that God works is that he has an upside-down kingdom where the values of the kingdom are different from what we'd expect. And the king doesn't rule with might and with power, but he gains his kingdom by dying. He doesn't rule by killing his enemies. He rules by first being killed by his enemies. That is the way God's kingdom is established, and it's completely different to what you'd expect. And then Jesus goes on to say to the disciples that if you want to follow him, then you need to be willing to be part of this upside-down kingdom too. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? 
Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Jesus didn't understand what God's kingdom was all about. And I think the reason why Jesus told them not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah is because everyone was going to misunderstand it. The only way you can understand who the Messiah is uh, truly is if you first see what he has done. See that he went to the cross to die for us and see that he conquered death by coming back to life and that there is true power in conquering death, true power in conquering sin and true power in welcoming, welcoming us into God's kingdom. So the question uh, is for us, then how do we make sure we don't make the same mistake as Peter? How do we make sure that we don't misunderstand God's uh, upside-down kingdom? And I think the first thing we need to do is don't assume that you know what's right. Like Peter thought he knew what was right for Jesus, and so he let him know. And we've got to make sure that we don't make that assumption, that we know exactly what God should be doing in the world, because God's kingdom is counterintuitive. Um, who here has seen Cars? Yeah, it's good, good film. So you know that bit uh, where um, Lightning McQueen is like practicing driving around the dirt track, and uh, and every time he goes around the corner, uh, he turns his wheels the way he expects it to go, and then he just spins out. Uh, like it makes sense to him to turn his wheel one the right way, but the car always spins out. Then there's that old car whose name I've forgotten, Hudson, and Hudson. Hudson teaches him how to, how to, if you turn your wheel the other way, then he can kind of drift around the corner. Like it doesn't really make sense to turn your wheels the wrong way, but, but when, he te- when he teaches him that, he realizes that that's the way to go. Like it's counterintuitive, but it works. You can't just assume that you know what is right if you are a car trying to drive around a track. Uh, and you can't just assume that you know what's right in God's kingdom as well. Because God's kingdom is so upside down that, that we can think that it, that it just... Uh, we can think that it would make sense to us, but it doesn't always make sense to us. Because here is a kingdom where the king rules first by dying. Here is a kingdom where the king, instead of punishing his enemies, dies for his enemies. Here is a kingdom where the king calls the people who are poor blessed. And here is a kingdom uh, where he says that the meek shall inherit the earth. Like, this is a kingdom that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So don't assume that you know what is right. Don't assume that you know what God should be doing in the world or what God should be doing in your life or God should be doing in someone else's life. Don't make that assumption and you won't make the mistake of Peter. But the second thing you need to do to make sure you don't make the same mistake as Peter is figure out what is right. And how do you know what's right? Well, You've got to ask Jesus. If Peter had said to Jesus, when Jesus said he's going to die, and Peter said, Jesus, actually, this is a bit strange for me. What do you mean you're going to die? Can you explain this to me? Then Jesus would have been like, well, and then would have explained things. He might have talked to him about the stuff from the Old Testament and given him this clear explanation about what was going on. And Peter might have understood it. But he didn't. He just made this assumption and then told Jesus off. And then he got called Satan. So it didn't go as well for him. You should ask what's going on. You should ask Jesus. I, uh, when I was uh, in high school, I had to do work experience, and I was really unprepared for work experience. I wanted to do some work in the film industry, and I kind of wrote to a few people like a month before it was meant to happen. They were like, no, we've got nothing for you. And so then I like rang up the, the cinema up the road, 
And I said, hey, can I come and do work experience with you? And they're like, yeah, we like slave labor, come along. And so I was there and I did this, I did work for a week at Roseville Cinema. Oh, I didn't mean to tell you that because it doesn't end so well. But <laughs> at the cinema. And, <laughs> and I was working, I was working at the cinema and I got taught there how to like make popcorn and to make, you know, chop tops, and they showed me into the um, into the projection booth, and that was really exciting. And uh, I was hoping the whole way through that they were going to offer me a job because I really wanted to work at the cinema so then I could watch free movies. I mean, at that cinema, they only showed old people movies, but, you know, free old people movies is better than nothing. So I was hoping and hoping, and then at the end of the week, they said, Tom, would you like to come and work for us? And I was like, yes, I would. Woo! It was my first job ever. And so I, I turned up there and I worked hard, and then uh, I found out there were two managers and one manager liked me and the other manager didn't like me. And the other manager who didn't like me was always trying to find a way to get me in trouble and get rid of me. Anyway, one night about two weeks into my job, uh, it was my job to like do the last shift. And so I did what I could and I finished up and I went home. And then when I got home at like 10 o'clock at night, I got a phone call from the manager who didn't like me. Just like, why were the bins not put out? I was like, I don't know, I, I had to put out, I didn't know I had to put out the bins. Do I have to put out the bins? like, yes, you have to put out the bins. It's part of closing. You have to put out the bins. I was like, I didn't know that. I'm sorry. And she's like, well, you should have known that. Shouldn't have known better. Bye. And then that was the end of the conversation. I was like, oh, that was bad. And then uh, I rang up to find out when my next shift was. And then they're like, oh, you got no shifts this week. So I was like, okay. And then rang up the next week and find out where my shift was. And they're like, no, you got no shifts this week. And then the next week and the next week. And I rang up for six weeks and I didn't get any shifts. And then I stopped ringing, which is probably better than if I was still ringing now, wondering if I've got any shifts. I got the message that I didn't have any shifts and I was fired for not putting the bins out, which seems pretty, you know, like, you know, petty. And it is. But <laughs> if I was going to avoid that situation, I could have actually asked someone. I could have said, hey, I've never closed up before. What do I need to know? How do I make sure that the manager who doesn't like me doesn't get me in trouble? They said, oh, well, you need to this, 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 and put out the bids. And I was like, great, I can do that. But I didn't ask anyone, and I lost my job. And so I was pretty dumb. If I had only just thought about it and asked someone, I could have done it. Well, how do you know about God's kingdom? Well, ask him. Like, we spend our time figuring out, like, oh, God's going to do this. God should do that. This is what I want God to do in my life. Well, how do you know what God is going to do, what God is like, what the values of his kingdom are? You ask him. And where has he told you? It's in the Bible. You probably have it in your hands. And if you don't, it should be in your phone. And I think you shouldn't have your phone at the moment. But you should be able to access it. And if you want to know where to start, then look at Matthew. Matthew chapter 5 to 7. That's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. That gives you really clearly a look at what the values of Jesus' kingdom are. What is the upside-down kingdom like? Well, you look there. And you see that the kingdom is about loving your enemies. That the kingdom is about um, praying for other people. The kingdom is about uh, not 
boasting about how good you are, that the kingdom is about making sure that you are sexually pure, that the kingdom is about making sure uh, that you are someone who honours other people before yourself. The kingdom is about all sorts of things, and it's not the things that you would expect. So you look and you see what Jesus said, and then you will know. And then you won't make the same mistake as Peter. And then the last thing uh, that you want to do, if you want to avoid making the same mistakes as Peter, is to be prepared to live and to love in the upside-down way of God's kingdom. That you are willing to say, actually, I, I will take up my cross and follow Jesus. I will pay the cost of following Jesus. I will do that because I know that I have a king who has paid the cost for me so that I can be in his kingdom. If you want to make sure that you don't make Peter's mistakes, then you follow Jesus. When Jesus says you have to take up your cross and follow him, that means that you are going to die. Sometimes people talk about taking up the cross or bearing a cross as if it's some kind of inconvenience. Usually young people don't talk about it. It's usually like an older person phrase, but they might be like, look, I don't have a license, so I have to like ride to the RSL to play bingo. It's just my cross to bear. As if like... It's just an inconvenience that you, that you have to bear your cross. But, you know, the cross is not an inconvenience. It was an instrument of torture. And if you, and, and you as a, someone who is being executed in Jesus' day, you would have to carry your cross to the place where they killed you. So it's Jesus saying, if you want to follow me, you have to be willing to carry the thing that will kill you to the place that you'll be killed. And you do it daily, that you're willing to die to yourself daily. And that means putting to death your sin, the things that are in rebellion against God. That means giving up maybe the things that you love more than God, or definitely giving those things up. It means willing to pay the cost to follow Jesus, because you know that Jesus paid the cost that you can follow him. Uh, I, in my job, I get to hear about young people and the things that they are doing. Uh, particularly, I get to go and visit schools, and sometimes I hear about kids in schools and the stuff they do. And I heard one story about uh, these two girls, I think they were in year nine, when they went to their uh, lunchtime Christian group at school and they heard this teaching about Jesus. And they realized that there was this girl in their year that no one else liked. And they decided they wanted to be friends with her. And so they decided to start hanging out with her at lunchtimes. And when they started doing that, their other friends said, well, we don't like her, so we don't want to hang out with you anymore. And so they lost their entire friendship group and it would just become the three of them every lunch, recess and every lunchtime hanging out together. And they committed to this, this girl and stuck with her at great cost to them socially because they knew that Jesus had called them to love and called them to give up things that they loved because they were his disciples. The question is, what is it that you are going to be called to do for Jesus? Maybe it is big things that are going to cost you socially. Maybe it's about forgiving that person that you don't want to forgive because of the things that they've said about you or the things they've done to you. That can be really, really hard. Maybe it's about changing the way that you live, changing your lifestyle, and you know that that will cost you. Maybe it's about deciding that you're not going to fight back against your parents, even when they're so infuriating. Maybe it's about smaller things by saying you are just going to actually choose to serve even when no one else is looking. 
Maybe you just say, look, I'm going to just make it that every, every mealtime, I'm going to wipe down the tables after a meal here at Kedron. Maybe that you want to earn money and give it away rather than keeping it for yourself. There are all sorts of things that Jesus is calling you to do to live differently. And you are being invited into his upside-down kingdom to live in an upside-down way because he loves you enough to have lived in an upside-down way for you. You know, if things were the right way up, if God's kingdom was as you'd expect it to be, if it made sense, if it wasn't counterintuitive, then there would be God in heaven and he would see us on earth and our rebellion against him. And he would send his son Jesus to punish us and to put us to death for the things that we have done because we have rebelled against the creator of the world. But that is not what he does. He sends his son Jesus to love us, to teach us how to live, and to die for us and to rise again so that we might know God's love. And you're being invited to follow that king who loves you that much. If you are not a Christian, then what this means for you is that you are still in rebellion against God. And one day God is going to judge this earth and he's going to judge you for the things that you have done. But you can put your trust in Jesus who has loved you enough to give his life so that you don't have to give yours for your sin. So trust him and be welcomed into this kingdom that is different from every other kingdom that's ever existed. And it's the only kingdom that will last forever. And if you are a Christian, then you need to remember that this King Jesus has given his life for you. And he rose again so that you might have eternal life in him. And he invites you to give your life for him, knowing that your eternal life is saving him and no one and nothing can take that away from you. So whatever you give up for him, it is nothing compared to the great things he has for you in the future. So be willing to live in the upside-down way of God's upside-down kingdom as followers of the king who gave his life for you. I'm going to pray for us. Father God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that he was willing to live in a way that was so counterintuitive, that he was willing to love us to the point of death. And that we saw the power of your love when he came back to life, knowing that if we trust in him, we can rise again like him. I pray that we will not be people who tell you how you should do things. That we will not rebel against the way that you had planned for things to go, but we will submit ourselves to your will, even when things don't make sense. Even when everything seems upside down, that we will trust you and know that your way is the best way. We will want to be people who follow you even when it costs us all that we have because we know that everything, everything that matters is safe in you. Amen. Amen.